Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass Podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen. And today with us, we have a very special guest. You may know him. We have Stephen Canella, co-editor-in-chief of The Sports Illustrated. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us today. Anytime, Liam. Happy to join you. Uh, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing absolutely swell. Beautiful cold day here in New York. How are you? <laughs> Uh, also a cold day. I'm also in the Northeast. I'm in Connecticut. So uh, I, I know I feel your pain, but uh, <laughs> good to chat. Let's uh, yeah. let's get into it. Uh, so as always, Stephen, we're just going to start nice and general here. Obviously, you've come a long way in your career, but let's go all the way back to the beginning, back to the very start. How about you just tell us, you know, what first made you realize that you wanted to be in sports media as an industry? Huh. Um Probably the realization that uh, I loved sports and uh, was never going to get involved as a, as an athlete. Probably uh, um, okay. now, I mean, look, I uh, I mean, some of that's true. Uh, not that I'd, I I've always loved sports. I'd never harbored any dreams of actually being an athlete um, uh, or at least a professional athlete. Um, you know, I, I grew up in kind of a journalism house. My dad worked in newspapers, and then later on, uh, he, he was a journalism professor. Um, so I, I grew up, you know, I, I think I, I, I grew up with an appreciation, um, not just for sports, but for great writing, great storytelling, um, and, 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 uh, and great journalism. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I was lucky enough at a very young age to get to know my dad at a, at a newspaper stop many, many, many years ago had worked, uh, with a young, uh, Jack McCallum early in his career, uh, Jack McCallum, who went on to become, Legendary SI writer, um, just had a piece for us actually two months ago on Oscar Robertson in the magazine, uh, Basketball Hall of Fame uh, media member. Um, so, you know, I had some window into what he did, you know, um, uh, what the life of an SI writer was. This is going back uh, 30, 40 years. The life of an SI writer has probably changed a little bit since then. But um, look, I, I think that's from a very young age, I guess I sort of had my eyes open that, hey, this this is a path you can take and, and that there are people who do this and do it really well and, and tell stories, um, you know, that are based in sports, but um, can be about a lot of other things too. And that sports is about a lot more than uh, just who won or lost the game that, that, that particular night. So, um, you know, I won't say, it, you know, by the time I was, from the time I was seven, I knew that's what I was going to do, but, you know, I think it's from an, from an early age um, that I, I sort of was aware that, Hey, this is something you can do with your life. And it's, uh, it's not just uh, really fun, but it's a really meaningful way to, to spend your life. Yeah, certainly. And I mean, we were before the pod started, we were talking about Jeremy Schapp a little bit. He's like, you. he's a lifer, you know, he grew up in the newsroom kind of situation. Uh, right. What was your first media sports media job? My first sports media job was uh, talking about being lucky uh, with Sports Illustrated. Um, um, you know, I uh, I started at SI as a fact checker. Um, let's see, it was about six weeks after I graduated from from college. Uh, so I, you know, talk about um, talk about getting out of school and, and entering uh, media and entering an industry at exactly the right time. You know, SI was uh, at a period of growth. This is the mid nineties. This was nineteen ninety five, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they were looking for uh, you know. A lot of people, uh, I think they hired seven entry-level fact-checkers, the reporter was the job title back then. Um, and they, I think there were seven of us who started that summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as I was beef- beefing up um, in the magazine, they were beefing up a lot of geographic-specific 
NFL coverage. They had a writer assigned to do four pages in the magazine every week on the NFC East, another in the NFC Central, all the way through. Um, and they needed people to uh, make sure that stuff was accurate, start checking facts. So that's uh, that was my that was my window in SI. I mean, before that, I, I, I'd written, you know, I went to Boston College. I wrote for the newspaper there. Yeah, right. um, but uh, as far as the first paying gig, uh, SI was it. Yeah. Like to briefly mention, I grew up going to BC games because my family had uh, season tickets on the fourth row behind the uh, the enemy bench there. So lots of good. Uh, well, all I can say is I'm sorry you had to watch some of those games. Probably I got to but... see a little bit of Matt Ryan and Luke Keekley. I mean, I had some prospects the last you know ten years, not so great, but before that, I mean, it was a lot of fun when I was growing up. Anyway, so Absolutely. you said you know I was there for, for the Glen Foley years, they were they were good years. Yeah, lots of fun. Um, so you mentioned, you know, Sports Illustrated, your first job, but you grew up kind of in like a newspaper household. When you first left college or maybe when you were in college, was there any, did you see like a difference that you wanted to kind of go down between doing a magazine and doing a newspaper? Because they're similar, but obviously not the same at all. Yeah. No, um, yeah. Um, look, I'll be to, be, to be totally honest. Look, I always thought, again, this is, this feels like, uh, yeah, it's a long time ago, but it, in terms of the media industry, it feels like several generations ago. I thought when I got to SI, I would, uh, I would uh, give it a shot. Um, and I thought to myself, hey, well, now that I've got this experience, if it just doesn't quite work out for me at SI, uh, if I do this for a year or two or three, um, if nothing else, I can, I can probably fall back and get a job at a newspaper somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, figured, hey, if, if SI doesn't work out and I can go be a reporter and maybe someday a columnist for a mid to large size, you know, Metro Daily. Um, you know, it's probably not a bad life in sports journalism. Uh, again, this is the mid nineties thing. <laughs> Things have changed probably a little bit. Definitely. So, um, you know, but th that said, I will say, uh, you know, I've, you know, I probably would have gravitated, well, I clearly did, but I probably gravitated a little more, you know, in sensibility toward what, um, you know, magazine style journalism. And uh, sure, I read the paper every day when I was growing up. Um, definitely grew up with some exposure to how newspapers worked and things like that. But I, you know, not as a kid, not just reading SI, but reading Time, reading Newsweek. Um, I read a lot of Rolling Stone when I was a kid. Like I was, I did sort of, I, I like that style of journalism. I like that style of storytelling. Um, it sort of fit then and probably still does now fits my personality a little bit. That sort of that lean back, let's take the long view. Um, you know, that's, uh, you know, we all have to do a little bit of everything right now in media, but, uh, you know, what left my own devices, that's, that's probably the way I think a little more than um, the second to second churn that uh, once upon a time working at a newspaper, you know, would have, re would have required. Yeah, absolutely. But obviously you did not start doing long view sports journalism. You started, right. started as a fact checker. So how'd right. you kind of rise in the ranks there and what happened once you got that job? Um, so yeah, so back then, look, uh, this was, I mean, we still have fact checkers at SI, uh, obviously then it was a little bit more, much more robust department. Um, and it was, look, it was an incredible experience. And in some ways I started at SI, you know, I mean, technically I started at SI just, you know, months after I graduated from college. Um, but that, that, that reporter job for the the first couple of years that I did it was that was basically like going to the best grad school that you could possibly go to the best J school you could go to and by that I mean um you get you know you get an insight I, I got really a 
firsthand experience on how the best people in this business were doing their jobs at that time. And if you're, if you were doing your fact checking job the right way um, at SI back then, you know, this was, this was early days of the internet. You couldn't just, uh, it wasn't just a matter of sitting there and Googling everything that came in. You've kind of had to re-report every story that came in. So when Bill Knack would uh, check a lot of his stories, uh, checked some Frank DeFord stories, um, you know, uh, everybody, Farber, Michael Farber, Tom Verducci, I checked. Um, when these stories would come in, you would not only get to read sort of the first draft of history as they saw it, which was fantastic, but then you would kind of have to go back and retrace their steps and really get a lot of insights into how they thought, how they did their job, how they constructed a story, how they reported. Um, so that was, you know, fact checking is a lot of grunt work, but it was really, um, you know, at that time in my career, that's what I was, that's what I should have been doing because <laughs> that's how I learned. That's how I learned to do this job um, at, a, at a high level or at any level for that matter. So after I was a checker for a couple of years, um, you know, uh, and SI, the, the idea was, you know, we were facting, you were checking facts. And the other great thing about that experience was not just who you were working with above you, but it's who your peers were. And the group that was in the, uh, we called it the bullpen, the, the, the reporter group at that time, in the mid nineties was, um, you know, pick a name, John Wertheim, Grant Wall, Jeff Perlman, um, Chad Millman was there uh, right before I got there. David Fleming, longtime ESPN writer. Um, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave out a lot of names. So I'll stop leaving, <laughs> stop naming names now because I'm to leave someone out, but it was an incredible, incredible, uh, incredibly talented group. Um, and also an incredibly uh, competitive group. And you were sort of competing against that group um, to get writing opportunities. Uh, you know, if you, when you were a fact checker or a reporter at SI in the mid nineties, if you got a chance to write a scatter report for the college football preview or something like that, or, you know, a chance to write a, a catching up with, which was a small front of the book piece that we were almost like a precursor to where are they now that we used to run 300 words catching up with some ex-athlete um that was like gold that was the biggest opportunity you could possibly ask for so um you know as 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 you're sort of researching checking facts you're looking for writing opportunities uh i got enough of those and eventually i um after uh after let's see in the late 90s uh i started writing on the baseball beat um so i was uh writing um you know Verducci at that time and still is was our lead baseball writer so I and actually Perlman along with me were sort of one or two or ten runs below him and I would write like the uh the inside baseball column that was in the, the magazine every week um mm -hmm. uh, covered baseball for about five years covered hockey for uh two or three years after that um and then when the NHL had its lockout in 2004 uh I needed something to do so I uh, came into the office to uh, help out with the editing of uh, scorecard in front of the book section. Um, figured I would do that for a couple months until the hockey season restarted. Um, <clears throat> and then I would go back on the road. Uh, hockey canceled their whole season. I uh, stayed on scorecard for a while and uh, never looked back in terms of that. That got me on the editor track rather than, rather than, uh, rather than being on the, on the writer track. So that's, was was uh when you first took on that baseball beat was that you know really like obviously like you said you're looking for every opportunity and being able to jump from fact checker to some sort of beat is obviously you know you're gonna jump at that but mm -hmm. it was kind of in your mind is baseball what you wanted to write about or were you just kind of like i'll write about anything no um i mean i was another incredible stroke of luck uh i would have written about anything i would have gone out and covered you know 
pickleball at that point if they, if they would have let me uh, or if it existed. Um, but no, I had baseball. I played baseball as a kid. I played through high school. Um, that's uh, that's probably the sport I was most immersed in. Uh, you know, in my in my youth, that's where I had done uh, not all, but a, a lot of my reading when it came to sports. Uh, you know, both current and historical sports writing. So uh, the chance to be on the baseball beat was, um, yeah, that was. That was uh that was that was a perfect fit and I couldn't have been luckier to get that chance, uh, all the more so because you know, I probably wasn't. <laughs> I, I hope I fooled the readers, but I probably wasn't totally ready for it. <laughs> you know, it's it's a, that at that time it still is. Baseball is a really difficult beat to be on, mm-hmm. um, and and the idea that uh, I was getting to cover it at a place like SI. Um, you know, in, in probably the, the later days of its heyday as a weekly magazine. Um, you know, uh, that was, that was really cool. Yeah. And then you also, well, actually I did have one question that I forgot to ask you and it might be hard. And I know that there might, there are lots of options, but was there any, you know, and I would get if you neglected to answer this question, but was there any one writer in particular that you fact-checked that you really, really love to fact-check like your favorite writer who's <laughs> that you just like to fact-check? Um, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I guess it depends what qualifies as a good fact-checking experience. Is it someone who makes your job incredibly easy and is fun to read or someone who gives you a lot of stuff to do, in which case they may have not have done their job all that well. So um, yeah, I probably have a, an answer for both that I will keep to myself, but I will say that, um, you know, in general, I named a couple names, Bill Mack, you know, I, I mentioned getting lucky enough to Frank, Frank DeFord, check some of his stuff, Gary Smith, Raducci, Farber, McCallum, Tim Layden, uh, Steve Rush, and again, I'm going to, I'm going to leave people out, yeah. but what I'm trying to say is the way you could see all of those guys, um, uh, almost to a person, every writer we've had, when they send it in, you could publish it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's really cool to watch how not just through the fact checking, but the editing process, those things then get better over time too. Mm-hmm. So um, to be to take a, to see a story like from someone like Verducci come in and you think, wow, this is great. And then four days later, everyone's gone through the process and you think, um, wow, this is even better than it was four days ago. Um, that uh, that's that makes for a really enjoyable uh, experience, um, both as a fact checker and as uh, as an editor. That's, you know that's where I think the editing is a lot of fun. And, and that's where the joy comes. That's where the creative process and editing comes from is taking something that's already great and making it uh, even better. Yeah. I was going to say, cause you said that, um, you know, once you got off the hockey beat, you were on the scorecard there. That's sort of when you made that official shift from the beat writing life to the editing life. But it certainly seems while well, fact checking is, you know, in the grand scheme of it, relatively small, as far as what the editing process is really like in a magazine like Sports Illustrated, it seems like your time as fact checker kind of paved the way for you to appreciate the finer points of editing. It, it, it absolutely did. It was not just a window into how the writers you work with do their jobs. It's a window in how... Um, how the editors uh, at that time, the editors were doing their jobs. And so look, it's, it's, that was, um, and this is important for everything I've done since. It's not just, it's not just the writing of the story <laughs> that, that it really matters. Um, any, not just in me and magazines and anywhere in media, it's, um, it's how that story is presented. It's how that story is packaged. It's, it's, you know, if you're, if we're talking about a print layout for now, like, you know, the photos and, and that layout are just as important in the way the reader is going to perceive that story, if not more important sometimes, as the words themselves. And um, 
that 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 lesson sort of extends to whether you're talking about uh, how you package a video, how you put together a podcast. On the it's the materials change, the ideas are pretty much the same all the way through. So uh, starting where I did um, gave me a window into sure how you put words together, but um, it was a really a great education in uh, how you do all the other things that are really important in um, creating. Uh, a really good experience for a media consumer, whether they're a reader, a watcher, a listener. Was there ever at that early point when you switched over from the hockey beat, was there like an aha moment for you where you realized that editing is kind of your future or was it just more <laughs> gradual than that? Um, I mean, that at first that was kind of a, that scorecard gig was a nice hybrid because it was um, a lot of editing uh, but also still a lot of writing. Um, so that was uh, uh, my my co-editor was a guy named Mark Bechtel, who's still at, at SI now and uh, one of our top editors and also uh, managing editor of SI for kids right now. Um, and we not just, not only did we edit that section, we, we, uh, we, we wrote an awful lot of it too. So it was really, it was, it was a lot of fun to work on. Um, and it was a chance for us to sort of be creative and not just the ideas we came up with and asked other people to execute, but in a lot of the things we were able to do ourselves. So, um, you know, the aha moment was, um, you know, uh, how do I put it? The realization that, um, look, uh, the dirty secret is at least at a place like SI, but I think this is probably true everywhere in media, um, especially print media. Editor, writer, if you have to pick one, One's a lot harder than the other, <laughs> and, and which is not to take anything away with how challenging or how fulfilling being an editor can be. Um, being a writer at a place like SI or anywhere for that matter is really, really hard. And the, the fact that our staff, <clears throat> excuse me, our staff can continue to churn out stories that are distinctive, um, that are unique, that uh, stand out in, in you know the media landscape that we're in right now. Um, and do it on incredibly tight deadlines, living, you know, pre-COVID, living out of hotels. And, and um, you know, it's, uh, I don't have to go into all the logistical town challenges and ultimately, you know, readers don't care how hard, <laughs> how hard it was for you to get a story done. But the aha moment was kind of like editing is like, it's a chance to shape what we do. It's a really creative outlet. And uh, when push comes to shove, it's, you know, sometimes it's nice to uh, be able to go to sleep in your own bed at night and not uh, be in, be writing at 3 a.m. in some faraway hotel. Very true. Was Scorecard the first time that you kind of had your own group of not employees necessarily, but people that you helped that you kind of worked with to construct a larger vision? Um, yeah, I mean, that was the, sure, as a self-contained section, sure. I mean, SI has always been, uh, as when I was coming up through SI, it was always a very collaborative effort. So, um, you know, you felt like you were, you always felt like you're part of something larger <laughs> than yourself. That that's for sure. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, editing scorecard, which I did for, um, <clears throat> let's see about, uh, five years, five or six years. Um, yeah, that was sort of the first time that, uh, Mark and I, we, we sort of shaped what that section was together. And, and, um, and, uh, yeah, it was a chance, probably the first chance we both had to kind of put our stamp on, on the way something read in the magazine week to week at that time. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. And with the benefit of, you know, 15 years of hindsight now, was there any particular lesson that you really felt 
that you learned while doing that that you really felt helped kind of pave the way to where you are now? Um, you know, I, I talked about the importance of, uh, of, of, of packaging and, and presentation and, and, you know, um, I just said editing was the easier thing to do editing versus writing, but, you know, writing the right, <laughs> it's really hard to write that right. The correct headline that's going to get people to read a story if they're flipping through a magazine or if they're going to click on it when they're, when they're scrolling through Twitter or, 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 uh, or, or, or on the internet. So, um, you know, I think the lessons you also learn too are, and I think having come from a writing background and then um, doing some editing, I think being aware of the way both sides of that equation operate, I think is really important. And then being a writer made me a better editor and being an editor has made me a better writer <laughs> since then. Um, because uh, you understand what each 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 half of that equation is 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 trying to accomplish and 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 what they're thinking about and you realize some of the sacrifices both sides of that equation sometimes have to make to get the, get the finished product so um, and you know the other thing that you you know editing that scorecard section um, that was that was a great way to sort of branch out and <clears throat> we had the entire sports world the entire world of pop culture at our fingertips you know it was kind of it was a good lesson in, hey, if you really, if you really look hard and if you really push it, you can extend quote unquote sports media into, into a lot of different places. And um, so that's something we still try to think about at SI quite a bit. And I guess that was probably the first time in my career I really had to focus on the, or really had thought about things in more expansive terms than just, I got to go find the best baseball story or the best hockey story that I can find. Mm -hmm. I've, heard, I've heard similar things from former writers turned editors and vice versa about the importance of understanding both sides of the process and it is yeah. um so you did that for five six years you said which brings us to about you know turn of the decade there then what was next for you Stephen? this is uh this is the this recap is longer than my actual career i think i'm probably <laughs> rambling here. but uh, <laughs> uh i was editing the front of the book section uh after that i um back to a little bit more specialization um uh, I became our baseball editor. So I was running our baseball beat uh, at SI from uh, this, now we're up to about 2009. So I did that for uh, three or four, year, four years, I believe. Um, so that was, you know, that was a little, that's, that's, that was a more uh, traditional full on editor role. I wasn't, I wasn't doing as much writing. Now I was working with, um, a ton of great writers, including Verducci, uh, and you know, and again, we were weekly at that time, so it was, you know, uh, this great hybrid job of trying to be on top of the news as best you can in a weekly magazine, um, while also um, driving some big picture, long range coverage and long range coverage, and uh, trying to drive the conversation in in your in in your beat, you know, with 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 what our coverage was. This was also um uh look si.com launched in 1997 so you know i would say it's around the early to mid 2000s uh that, you know this period that we're talking about where um you know i think looking back we can realize we were late to it but this is when the the, the walls between digital and, and and the magazine really started to fall at, at si uh and for the better i wish they had fallen a long time before they did um but this is uh around the time that uh, all of us were being asked to, um, you know, all of us were realizing that we had to, uh, you know, writing your one story in the weekly magazine was not, was not the way this, this, this industry was, was headed. And, um, so 
running the baseball beat, that's one of the things we try to do is, is uh, you know, focus not just on what's the story we're going to do for that next weekly magazine close, but how do we turn this into into uh, into a more digitally focused operation? And um, look, it's probably another podcast where we can talk about why, uh, for various corporate reasons, uh, you know, why SI and not just SI, like we were part of Time Inc. at that time, why a lot of Time Inc. was a little slow to embrace the digital revolution in the mid-90s that, that we should have embraced much earlier. But um, I think uh, around that time, around mid mid 2000s um that's when i think i feel like si really started to uh, catch up and get back up to speed there yeah i think just about everybody wishes they had done that earlier yeah <laughs> i would like to meet somebody who believes they did it at the right time or did it earlier than everybody else because then i would call them a liar but, yeah. <laughs> uh, was it difficult as an editor to kind of shift your mindset like that in the way you described where it's not only about you know the big picture the big story but also trying to come up with stuff that could work in a digital forum as well yeah, um, I would say it was difficult. It was it's, it's it was a challenge. It still is, um, you know. Um, and the challenge at a place like SI is, uh, and this was definitely true. I mean, we could spend another five hours talking about how internet media trends have changed, you know, year to year, much less decade to decade. But you know, at that time, what we were really trying hard to figure out was, you know, what works online, and is it do people want to read the quote unquote traditional SI story online? And at that time, there wasn't a ton of thought that folks were, there, there weren't a lot of media or uh, internet users out there who were gonna sit there and scroll through a 3000 word story necessarily. Um, I think that's changed. I, I, and for various reasons, I, I, I disagree with the idea that, that this stuff won't res doesn't resonate online now, but you know, that was sort of the height of the, uh, you know, it was the height of the clickbait uh, <laughs> clickbait moment on on the internet probably so i think that's one of the things we that was a challenge for us and that we spent a lot of time thinking about is uh if you have a great writer who's a one of the most accomplished journalists in his or her chosen field um how do you adapt that voice and that skill set to what works online mm -hmm. and um this is around the time that you know i'm being very rough with my dates but Someone like Peter King at SI, he figured that out really well and really fast. Um, he was doing it going back to the late 90s, but he was able to find a way to channel his um, his voice and his personality um, to infuse uh, what he had always done as a journalist, which is his reporting and his storytelling. Um, he, he, he mixed those two effortlessly in his Monday morning quarterback com uh, column. Um, and this was, as we saw the success of that at SI, um, you know, that, that sort of, uh, I don't want to say it opens our, opened our eyes to the possibilities, but that was, uh, that got a lot of us thinking like, oh, this is, that's kind of how you do it. Now I'm not going to say we've cracked the code totally every single, with every single writer we've ever had, but, um, um, that was, yeah, that was, I guess you could say that's around the period where the shift of being a very print focused operation to a more multi-platform operation is that's, that's, that's when that was happening at SI. One thing I'm curious about, I mean, at this point, the point of time we're talking about here, you've been there for almost, what, 15 years about? Uh, yeah, so let's, yeah, let's call it 2010. So yeah, 15 years. 15 years. I mean, was there ever, a t obviously there was no desire to leave because you didn't, but was there ever a temptation <laughs> to leave? Uh, yes. Um, yes. Uh, I wouldn't even say there was, I, I can't swear that there was never a desire to leave either, <laughs> but uh, uh yeah, 
yeah, I, I had, a, I, I have had other opportunities. Um, and, uh, you know, there were, uh, there were a couple times where I was actually very close to leaving, uh, for, for other opportunities. Um, one of the reasons I didn't, or a couple of the reasons I, I didn't were, um, you know, on paper, it looks like even at that point, I looked like I had been, you know, I'd been there for 15 years, let's say at this point, I've been here, uh, to over 25. Um, and on paper, that looks like a huge stretch, but I do feel like what I've done has changed enough often over the years that I do feel like I've had six or seven different jobs, even, you know, just under the same banner. So I've never felt, uh, I've never felt, uh, like what I was doing was getting stale or, or, and that's not just because my duties were different, but you know, the media landscape changed is yeah. constantly changing too. So sure, you can work at a place for a long, long time, but this is not the same place and not the same job that uh, it was uh, certainly when I got here and definitely not even what it was five years ago. So in some ways I've, I've left several times without actually leaving. <laughs> um, and then the other reason is it's, and this is true, I'm not the only person who, uh, who has a long SI resume. Um, there's a reason why it's the kind of place where people, um, when they get there, um, it takes a lot to, 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 to want to leave. And, um, it's, I think that's the power of what SI stands for. It's the power of the brand and, 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 um, look, it's still, we've changed a lot. It's not the same mm. place. It's not the same media business, uh, that it was a long time ago, but, um, it's still uh, it's still a kind of place that, that has a lot of meaning for people, and and I still feel like it's the kind of brand that resonates really well out out in the world. And um, you know, even in this landscape, when you look around, it's hard to name a whole lot of places that uh, that you would rather be. Very well put. So now you're on the baseball beat, you said, and then what happened after that? We're past the turn of the decade at this point. Here's here's where here's where it starts to get slick probably gets a little more boring in corporate at that point, but, uh, you know, I, I was a baseball writer for a while. Then I got, you know, I got, I was promoted to, um, AME, which is uh, the title is assistant managing editor. So that was sort of, a that was, I was one of five, four or five at that time on the SI masthead. That was kind of a more of a management role where you're sort of overseeing a lot of the beat editors and, and, and a lot of writers and things like that. Um, and then over the ensuing years, uh, um, you know, sort of gradually took on more responsibility as as uh, as things were changing at SI, both in the later days of Time Warner and then the later days of Time Inc. and then the later days of Meredith. Um, and uh, went from AME to uh, became executive editor. Um, I guess that was 2016. And um, at that point I was, uh, Chris Stone was our editor in chief at that point, um, who's now with the LA Times. Um, you know, and the great thing about Chris, uh, in addition to being a fantastic editor in his own right but he you know he really gave it uh a chance for a lot of us to uh to to, to flourish you know as, as he moved up to that role so at that point i had um i was able to have pretty much day-to-day -day control of what we were doing uh in the magazine uh going back to 2016 um and that's that was an exciting time because over those years the magazine was changing a lot too we went from a weekly to uh to a bi-weekly and then um in early 2020 we shifted to a monthly so um you know it's again, it's another situation where they've been focused on the magazine for what looks like a long time, but it's a very different job. <laughs> it's become a very different job along the way. So it doesn't feel like I've been doing the same thing over and over and over. Um, uh, and then when, um, 
you know, in 2019, uh, when uh, we were purchased uh, from Meredith by ABG, and then ABG licensed our uh, operation to Maven uh, later that year. Um, uh, again, another stroke of luck. Uh, I was able to, uh, along with Ryan Hunt, my co-editor-in-chief, we were uh, put in place to try to take SI uh, into a new future under under Maven and ABG. So that's um, that's the resume for you. <laughs> Quite substantial resume, I might say. Uh, my first question for you about this later period, right around when you were named editor-in-chief, is what was sort of the thought process behind naming co-editors-in-chief, if you don't mind giving me a peek behind the curtain there? Um, I think it was uh, it was a couple of things. And one was, I mean, Ryan also uh, has a long history at SI, not quite as long as mine, but pretty close. Um, and he came up, uh, if I came up more through through the, the, the magazine side, uh, Ryan came up, he was... Uh, came out through the digital side. So um, but we both are, uh, the way we the way we both operate is we, we both do everything. You know, there are no walls between print and, and digital anymore at, at SI. Um, but I think, you know, part of the reasoning was uh, he brought a certain level of expertise and I brought a certain level of expertise. And, um, you know, I think we had both earned the right to, uh, to, um, uh, to lead SI into what you know a, a very new and a very exciting uh, future, and um, and you know, I'll be honest, it's a big. This would be a large. This would be a very large job for one person. <laughs> There's more than enough for two of us to do. Um, so in that sense, uh, having co EICs uh, has made total sense. And um, yeah, it's you know we work really well together. And uh, look, I there are many days. Um, no, I shouldn't say that. Every day, uh, the idea of trying to do this job um, by yourself is uh, would be would that would be challenging. So. Yeah, I truly can only imagine in that regard. And then yeah. being named editor in chief in 2019, and then leading into 2020, what with the pandemic and everything that happened at Sports Illustrated when the purchase was made, is obviously quite a tumultuous start. We'll call it to your editor in chief career. Right. How did you kind of I don't know deal with all that? It's definitely not a normal editor in chief transition. That's for sure. No, um, let me know when things settle down. Okay. Uh, it's, uh, uh, yeah, when we took over 2019, um, it was, look, there was a lot of, it was a period of change. It was a period of transition. Um, that is, um, not anything that anyone in, if you work in media for more than 35 seconds, um, you're familiar with the idea of change and transition. Um, that's always been true at SI. Uh, we've, we've got, we've, even before 2019, we had gone through a lot of change and transition. So, um, you know, we felt like, um, I felt like when we got into early 2020, we, we were on much better footing. Um, we had put a lot of that, uh, to use the word you used, you know, put, put the, put a lot of that tumult behind us. And, um, we had some really positive momentum with what we were doing both, uh, online and with the magazine, um, and with the business in general and, uh, and then COVID hit. So, um, Rewind in March, uh, <clears throat> March 12th, thereabouts, you know, we basically had to reinvent how we do everything mm -hmm. at SI, um, from day-to-day -day digital production to getting out a monthly magazine, uh, to our video operation, to everything. We, we, we didn't, again, we're not alone. Every media outlet, every human <laughs> has had to do things differently over the last 12 months. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been, um, it's been an exciting 16 months, let's put it that way. And uh, I think 
um, if and when this pandemic ever fully ends. Uh, I should say if it definitely, or I should say when it definitely will. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we've we've yeah. learned a lot, and I'm we've learned some things that we, we've learned some things that we would not have learned um, otherwise that have been really beneficial to us. Uh, how to you know not just how to work remotely. I think when you look back at some of the things we were doing last April, May, June, <clears throat> both at SI.com and in the magazine, mm-hmm. um, I think it forced us into. Uh, kind of this burst of creativity to find things to write about and find stories to tell, which at that time was really hard to do in a traditional way because nothing was happening and you couldn't get access to anybody and you couldn't go out and do photo shoots. You couldn't go out and do interviews. Um, and when, you know, when you look back at some of the, some of the things we were able to publish and put out in the world, um, I'm really proud of what we did and, and continue to do. And I think it's sort of, uh, we learned some thought processes. We learned some logistical processes that I think, uh, like I said, when the world's back to normal, I think we're going to be we're going to be much better for it. Certainly, and I noticed that you uh, dipped the pen for the first time in a couple of years, right when sports stopped. What was your inspiration there? <laughs> so that was. Um, I'm going to get my. I'm probably going to be off a little bit of my dates, but we had the April issue of the magazine was scheduled to close on uh, something like March 15th, whatever that Monday was. Um, and I believe, um, the, the, the Rudy Gobert moment was, uh, what, less than a week before that. Um, so, um, um, so look, one of the things, and one of the things that we haven't talked a lot about is sort of, figuring out how to do SI as a monthly magazine. And it, it's, it, it makes SI a different magazine than it was back in the, uh, back when it was say a weekly or even a bi-weekly, bi-weekly where we felt like we were very, t- tried to be as timely as we could, try to be as on the moment as we could, um, you know, try to be not just forward looking to what it was coming up the next week or the next couple of weeks, but, you know, kind of a snapshot of history as it was happening that, that, that moment. So we realized that, even though we were a monthly magazine at that point, you know, a lot of the material we had planned was going to suddenly feel very sort of off key mm-hmm. uh, when people were reading it a few weeks later in the middle of quarantine. Yeah. So, uh, so we tore up most of the magazine. We tore up, uh, tore up the cover we had planned. We did a really cool cover. The uh, Steven Scalacchi, our creative director, um, had a great idea to do like this sort of photo illustration of just the uh, empty seats. It's a really stark, beautiful cover. And uh, yeah, I wrote a piece that, that went along with it, sort of explaining why we did what we did and sort of, um, you know, uh, in those early, early, early days of the pandemic, never knowing that it would be stretching as long as it has, um, sort of try to capture what we were all feeling, um, not just in sports, but, uh, you know, in all aspects of life at that point. Mm-hmm. And uh, so one of the things I am curious about is I have talked to a lot of people for this here podcast, but I've never once talked to an editor-in-chief of a publication, much less one at Sports Illustrated's kind of size and sort of the versatility and diversity that you guys have in terms of covering your content. So what's basically an average day for Steven at Sports Illustrated as (laughs) co-editor-in-chief? Um hobnobbing with athletes and uh, going to parties and expensive lunches. Um, (laughs) Oh wait, that was, that was the job 40 years ago. Uh, um, Look, I think it's, um, I mean, right now it involves um, like it does probably for most people who are listening to this uh, involves a lot of um, 
sitting at home and and getting on Zoom calls and spending the entire day on the phone and and uh, you know shuttling up and down from the basement to uh, an upstairs room depending on where my kids are at that particular moment. Um, look, it's it's very much more um, you know it's editor in chief and and uh, uh, I I try to I I take the editor part of that title very very seriously um, and that's what I love to do. I love to talk about stories. I love to uh, you know. I, I, I'm management now, so I have to use the term content, but I love to think about the content, but, uh, um, but at the same time, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's a, it's a managerial job. And when you are, um, an, an, an EIC, you suddenly have to think about not just the content you're producing, not just, um, making sure you're serving, uh, your readers, uh, your audience. Um, it's a business, you're running a business. And, um, you know, that, uh, that sort of takes a lot of the things that you've learned along the way in your career. Um, and sort of, you, I have, I'll, I'll say this, I have new respect for a lot of the people that way back in the day, I were, you know, I sort of were making decisions and I couldn't figure out what, why are they, why are they doing things this way? Why are they running the this business this way? Um, now I get it. <laughs> so, so, you know, sorry, that's, that's a long one. That's, that's a long way away from your question about a typical day. A typical day is, you know, we start every morning with a, a daily morning uh, edit, edit meeting with our, um, with our editors uh, and, and uh, most of our newsroom. Um, I'm in a lot of meetings all day it can it could be, I'll bounce from, I'll bounce from um, a staff meeting with, um, you know, Ryan and and other leaders at Maven and Ross Levinson, our CEO. I'll bounce from that to uh, a meeting to talk about cover ideas with um, Stephen Scalacchi, our creative director, who I mentioned, Marguerite Schropp, our photo director. Um, and I'll bounce to another meeting to talk about, um, you know, a potential podcast partnership. And then I'll talk to, <laughs> it's, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a lot of, uh, I cover a lot of ground in a, in a given day and a lot of different, a lot of different topics. Um, so, and then somewhere along lo- on the way, I'm, uh, you know, trying to keep an eye and trying to read, uh, put an eyeball on every single thing that the uh, SI puts out under, under, under any of its banners, digital print, video, podcasts, et cetera. So it's, you know, we, we, as you say, we have a diverse collection of, of things that we do. Um, so that can be a full, full, just reading and listening and watching everything that can be a full-time job in itself, but that's, uh, that's also the best part of the job. Indeed it is. And then as the big picture guy now, cause you're an editor in chief, you're thinking about the big picture always, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Um, what are you most excited about now that the pandemic is, you know, we've learned a lot from the pandemic and you're just getting started in your kind of your reign as editor in chief for sports illustrated along with Ryan. I mean, what are you most excited about going forward into the future for, uh, for the magazine? Um, I think I'm excited about, uh, look, when I think about what I'm excited about for SI, um, I'm excited about the chance to, uh, hopefully change something that you just said. And you said, you know, what are you excited about for the magazine? And I know you're talking about the magazine specifically, but what we're also really excited about doing is changing. I love, we love the magazine. I love the magazine. It's, it's, I owe my entire career to sport to, to the magazine. Um, but SI is, uh, we're really working hard is to change that perception out in the world that SI is just a magazine. And um, I think we've made really great strides in that area. Um, you know, 
Uh, I'm going to put on my cheerleading managerial hat right now, but uh, January was, you know, we had our biggest digital audience in SI.com history in January. Um, you know, we just launched a, a subscription plan, a paywall, a metered paywall on SI.com because we really feel like, um, like a lot of other outlets and media do right now that quality work, quality journalism, premium content, uh, there's that word again, um, that has that has value. And I think a lot of us, not just at SI, we're going back and we're trying to correct the original sin of the internet, at least as it applies to media companies, which was giving everything away for free and essentially telling your audience, hey, just because it's not printed on paper, um, suddenly it has a lot less value. So that's what excites me. I'm excited about uh, the chance to sort of rebuild what people think of as SI and, and sort of keep that magazine core and keep that magazine ethos and continue to do that, not just in print, but in a lot of other different ways. And I think we're already doing that. And if we can keep doing that and keep growing that and increase our exposure, um, I think there's a chance for SI to really stand out as a way, in a way that it always has. Like it's a very, very, very crowded media landscape. Um, there's a lot of information out there, but um, things that are at the level of the, of the quality and the, and, and, and the prestige that I think we can do things, um, that stuff is not super plentiful on the internet. So I'm really excited about how we can continue to, to, to plow that ground and, and carve out, carve out uh, you know, our share of the, uh, of the media landscape. Absolutely, Stephen. I'm really excited to see what you guys do over there. And now I'm going to finish up the uh, podcast with the two questions I always ask. The first is, is there anything at all that you wish you knew back when you were starting out at Sports Illustrated in 1994 about the job, the industry, Sports Illustrated, anything? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. We could probably spend another five hours talking about all the things I wish I knew back then. Um, yeah, I wish I knew. Look, um, I'll try to be quick. I wish I had an idea of where things were headed a little earlier than I probably grasped it. And and by that, I mean, um, when I got to SI, the magazine, the weekly print magazine was still a really powerful and um Personally, I was probably a little, for someone my age even, I was probably a little bit slow to grab on to some of the other opportunities that being part of that engine would have afforded me at the time, you know, doing more on television, getting, you know, embracing sort of the digital side of things a little bit sooner. Um, so, I, you know, I think, uh, I think I wish, I wish I'd been a little quicker to, uh, to uh, do some of that stuff from day one of my career. And then, um, you know, I wish, I wish I and a lot sort of at the point I just to the point I was just making, I wish I and a lot of other people like me had pushed harder earlier um, for the idea that uh, premium premium journalism is not something that uh, just grows on trees and should be should be tossed out on the Internet like candy for for anyone to, to pick up for free. Um, I think that's that's a strategic and a tactical mistake that the media business uh, media industry as, as a whole made a huge mistake and we're still 20 years later or however many years later, we're all still digging out of it. So mm -hmm. that's uh, I wish we had all had a little bit more foresight in that sense. To be sure. And then a slightly altered version of the second question, because you are an editor in chief is, is there any particular misconception that you feel people have about sports media as a whole that you feel is wrong or like something people think they know about this job and the, the industry you work in, but they actually don't. <laughs> um, Look, I think, 
I think there's um there's probably a little bit of a misconception that hey if you're if you're a big sports fan um and you watch a lot of games and you know a lot of trivia and statistics oh i could do that job um and uh you know i like to think especially at a place like si and this is true not just at si but the best of the best of sports media out there uh most if not all of the people um working in those industries they love sports that's their passion um but if you took the if you took the best si journalists we had and you suddenly transplanted them and said hey you have to go cover the white house or you have to go be a science reporter or something like that um i have no doubt they could all do it and that's because the skill set is the same and being we like to think of ourselves as journalists first and that's 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 kind of the misconception that we're you know people in sports media are um you know sports is a huge part of it and that's what makes it fun but um you know we're not all in this game just because we enjoy watching games <laughs> so um and you know you, you would i'm guessing you would probably say the same thing too it's really it trust me it's it's a really cool way to spend your day and and, and your and your career um but uh yeah the misconception is that it's uh it's it's all a fun and games industry is um that's probably still out there yeah for sure. I mean, I love to watch games, but you know, it's not mutually exclusive. I do too. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I, do, I, I do too. That's, and then, and I'm not, that's, I do too. And, and that's one thing we also talk a lot about at SI is we don't walk in that line between taking what we do seriously and producing stories that are important and stories that matter and stories that show how sports is a slice into or a prism into other aspects of society at the same time. Sports is a lot of fun. So let's have some fun and let's find the humor. Let's find, let's find the, the funny moments. Let's find, let's find the lighter side. Let's um, that's, that's the balance we, 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 we want to walk. And again, as much as things have changed over the last 10, 20, 30, 50 years in this industry, um, look, there are most of us in this industry, we wouldn't trade it for anything. And that's because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing to do. And that is damn right. Thank you very much, Stephen, for appearing on the podcast. I really appreciate you walking us through your career and giving us a lot of uh, honest and straightforward answers about everything going on at Sports Illustrated. And I wish you the best of luck in surviving the rest of this shit like the rest of us. And then <laughs> happy to do it, Liam. And uh, yeah, next time uh, I, I ask the questions, you tell me about your career, probably. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll... <laughs> I've been waiting for somebody to say that. All right, we'll get it set up. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in to the Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, signing off.